Welcome to Working Sober, the podcast that empowers high achievers like yourself to take control of their drinking habits and maximize their career success. I'm your host, Melissa. Working Sober is here to inspire and support you on your journey. So sit back, relax, and let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to Working Sober. How are you? I hope you're doing well. I'm doing very well. And today I'm bringing you a lovely conversation with my friend, Paul O'Donohue. Paul, if you're listening, we're friends, right? <laughs> Paul is 31 years old. He is over 18 months sober. And he's also the founder of Queer Recovery Support, which is an organization based in Belfast that is really establishing a sober community and peer-led recovery meetings targeted to the LGBTQIA community. Today, Paul and I chat about getting sober in Belfast. He got sober in Belfast and so did I. We also talk about not only getting sober from alcohol, but other drugs as well, including cannabis, recovery as a queer person, not only in Northern Ireland, but generally as a queer person and how there's so much community wrapped up in nightclubs, bars, all of that. And we discuss external validation, both of our need for external validation while we were still drinking. We talk about being children of alcoholic parents, alcohol-free drinks, his community, the Queer Recovery Support Group, sober communities in general, and how everything basically just falls into place after you remove alcohol from your life and get sober and start working on your recovery. So I know you're going to love this episode and definitely make sure you go and follow Queer Recovery Support or share it with someone you know who might find it helpful. And yeah, so let's get into this week's episode, my conversation with Paul O'Donoghue. Hello, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Melissa. So nice to chat with you again. We met up Gave Hill and went for a walk, which was lovely a few weeks ago. How have you been since then? Yeah, I haven't been too bad. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Um, It was a lovely wee day out. And even though the weather wasn't the best, I think we all made the most of it and we all had a pretty good time. So we will definitely get into your story of founding Queer Recovery Support, which is your organization and the whole reason we were walking up that mountain in the first place, because we had an event together. As the listeners of the show will know, I'm the founder of Sober Girls Ireland. And so recently, Paul and I collaborated and did a little event get together a few weeks ago. But I would love to know a bit about a bit more about you for the listeners, if you can just share who you are, where you're from, some of your hobbies, and the work you're doing right now. Well, I'm 31. I'll be 32 in August. I currently have just over a year and a half of sobriety under my belt. And uh, about two months ago, I went for an interview for a job that, reflecting back in hindsight's always 2020, I think I said when I was 21 that I've always wanted to go into this industry. And Although I was content in the job that I was in, it wasn't always, it wasn't a permanent job. I was a temporary employee, even though that ran for three and a half years. Um, So I went, I was doing interviews and I wasn't really fussed if I got the job or not, but it seems I've landed on my feet and I'm about to go into a new job, doing admin, which is something that I really enjoy. Um, Starting Monday coming, that will be, I'm not sure when the podcast comes out, but it'll be the 17th of July. So yeah, um, things have been really good and I don't think I would have achieved or even put myself forward for these jobs if I hadn't have been sober. So I think there's that sort of intersect there that you give yourself more opportunities and more chances 
want to go on this journey of sobriety. Um, this wonderful journey that we're on. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And what about you? I know you have tons of hobbies that you're into. Probably the some of the most frequent hobby and the thing that I do most often is running. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of races coming up. I'm actually doing the Belfast Half Marathon in September. I think it's September. Um, so running sort of my me time, mm-hmm. if you like. Um, I think it's something that I did used to do when I was drinking and using. Um, but it's something that it might have lasted for a few months and then I would have fell out of it. Whereas for over the last year, it's something that I've consistently done, um, whether that be out on the road, trail running, or the likes of treadmill running. Listeners can probably hear from your accent that you're from Belfast, which is actually where I was living up until recently, up until about just over a year and a half ago. And that's where I got sober as well in Belfast in 2020. You got sober in 2021, right? Or going into 2022, would that be correct? And yes, it was. The last time I had a drink was the 30th of December, 2021 yeah um yeah because i'm a year and a half sober and we're 2023 mm-hmm. so that makes sense that adds up. <laughs> yeah so we kind of have i mean similar but different experiences but we both quit drinking in belfast which i think would be a very interesting thing to talk about quitting drinking in you know one of the capital city the capital city of northern ireland where drinking culture is so common i was definitely the only person in my friend group who stopped drinking or who was exploring with sobriety. So I think it'd be interesting to hear about your journey with alcohol, how you eventually came to the decision that you wanted to quit. So uh, for me, when I talk about alcohol, I can't explicitly just talk about alcohol. um, Because for me, there was other things that played a part in getting me to my journey in sobriety. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say my main addiction would have been with cannabis, marijuana, weed, whatever you want to call it, because that's something that I would have used every single day. Um, And that was probably the last five, six years before I started getting sober. It was something that I was using every single day. Alcohol, on the other hand, I would say I would have been a grey area drinker or a middle lane drinker, Mm -hmm. where I probably could have took it or leave it. But once I started drinking, there was no off switch. I just kept going and going and going. And normally, um, after my second or third drink, that's when I would have, would have wanted other substances. Yeah. So I also um, would have partook in the likes of cocaine, MDMA, ecstasy. There was yeah. a lot of party favours um, when I was younger. Um, but more so in my later years, it mainly stuck to cocaine. But I never really craved that until I had my second or third drink. So I think for a while, I always said that my problem was never with alcohol because it wasn't something that I used every day. As I mentioned, it was like a middle lane drinker, a grey area drinker, which means I could have took it or left it. And I wouldn't have drank every week. I probably could have went weeks without having a drink and then had a big blowout for a couple of days and then went weeks again without drinking. Whereas, as I say, the cannabis use was my sort of everyday comfort. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the thing that I tried to stop at the beginning of the lockdown. For the first time, like seriously, really thought about giving it a good go. What I had noticed is once I stopped smoking, I substituted smoking for drinking. I never drank at home. And I find myself maybe drinking a bottle of wine, two bottles of wine, maybe three bottles of wine a week, which was unnatural for me. And I think that played into 
again, it's trading one addiction for the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I did eventually go back to cannabis because that wasn't the end of it for me. And that's when I started really thinking about like sobriety groups and what there was out there specifically tailored for queer people and to see if there was any groups out there that could help support people in my situation get sober. A lot of the things that I had found that were out there were was sort of your your generic sort of AA and um, you had smart recovery groups. Um, I did find that there was one uh, gay AA group in Derry, London Derry, but the person that ran that had passed away and nobody ever picked it up once he passed. So there was nothing here targeted for queer people. And mm-hmm. as much as I tried AA and give it a good go for a lot of weeks, it just wasn't the right fit for me. So there mm-hmm. was a missing puzzle piece to sort of, for me, that I felt helped me get sober. And it wasn't until I was sober seven months that I had actually started trying to get into those groups and had done AA. I'd done another group with Inspire Wellbeing, which is Belfast based. and I think what it was is I lacked that community and that sort of mm-hmm. connection to other sober people. Just as a queer person, once you start getting sober, it was easy for me to feel isolated and ostracized from a community mm-hmm. that I had found for the first time in my life. I felt I belonged. Yeah. Especially when you're turning 18 and you go out in the scene and it's glitz, glamour, drag, alcohol, drugs. It's all there and it's that sort of fantasy lifestyle that you're sort of almost recruited into from such a young age and it, I think it was harder walking away from all that than what it was actually for me to get sober. So linked isn't it the drugs and alcohol could imagine having finally found your community of people in that scene having difficulties kind of taking a step back from that you know especially in a place like Belfast that's usually where people would gather. Um, I would say most queer communities will always gather in bars or nightclubs and yeah. mm-hmm. um, so whether that be that they have a non-alcoholic event that day, whether it be a sporting event um, or something else, it always comes back to they'll go for a drink afterwards because that's your sort of safe space or your safe place. And that that was, as I say, for me, that was the hardest thing to sort of walk away from because it was like for so long you struggled with your identity and then you find these group of people that suddenly you can relate to on one way or another. But for me, it was maybe relating with the wrong people that I don't want to blame anybody for my substance issues because it was all me and I know that I was the instigator in most situations but you sort of just go down that path and the further you go down it that not the harder it is to come back but you just keep falling further and further and further yeah if that makes sense yeah it definitely does and you're actually the first person who's come onto the podcast and spoken about getting sober from marijuana slash cannabis specifically I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you knew that was a problem for you. Like, I know you said that you were doing it every day, but could you speak about some of the negative side effects or how it was affecting you that you knew it was time to make a change? Well, I think I was first introduced the hash originally, and that was back when I was about maybe 16. Mm. Um, It wasn't until I started going to university that I really started dabbling in cannabis properly. And as I mentioned earlier in the episode, it eventually became an everyday thing for me. I think when I hear people tell their story about drinking, I can relate a lot to it because I've had sort of a similar relationship with cannabis where it was, if I was going up and going to work, I was making sure that I had a joint rolled for getting home. 
it's something that I had thought about every single day and counting down the minutes until I could have my drug again. If I couldn't, because it's not legal. So, but like to say, it's harder to come by, but you might have to go a day or two where you don't have it. We were waiting on supply coming in and picking that up. And if I had to go without it and it wasn't my choice, I became so irrational, so irritable. And um, I was snapping at the people around me. And it was normally the people closest to me that yeah. got the worst of it. And it was even saying there about going a day or two. Sometimes it was just, if I had my head, for example, if I was rolling that joint for getting home from work and something stopped me from getting to there, if I know, right, I finished work at half four, I'll be smoking that for five o'clock. If there was a delay with the bus or somebody kept me back in work, that would have ruined my whole, whole day yeah. because I knew that I had a time in my head of when I was supposed to get that and it didn't come, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Even if you're taking into like everyday work life, I used to think that it helped with my anxiety. And I do believe in the beginning it did help with my anxiety. Like any drug or anything that you use to help sort of help with depression or anxiety it will work in the beginning. But then if you overuse it, it'll then actually be a contributing factor to it. And I found that's what happened, especially when I was taking breaks. When I took breaks and went back to it again, I was like, it's all right. I can smoke a joint before I go out because it'll relax me. And to find that it was just a ball of nerves the whole time that it was out. So mm-hmm. eventually it, I stopped having that pleasure with it. I liked, yeah. I would rather have just sat, in, sat at home, not socialised and isolated myself. So I mentioned earlier about when I got sober, I felt as if I was isolated from the community and ostracising myself, but I was doing that anyway when I was in addiction. That's amazing to like just be aware of, of yourself, to notice that kind of contradiction that you were probably trying to seek connection through those substances in some way, whether that was going out into your community or different things like that, going out to the nightclub, seeing friends, but it was actually the thing that was holding you back from experiencing that meaningful connection, which I know that for so many of us, you know, alcohol, drugs, that's really the symptom of the larger root issue, which is probably a lack of connection, a lack of confidence and different things like that. But I I can just speak from anecdotally, I've heard stories and I know different people who have shared how marijuana specifically really demotivates you. um, And it creates like that lethargy, makes you feel tired all the time. You're not as inclined to like go out and see people or go the extra mile at work, right? And did that translate into your work life at all you using at that point yeah I do feel as if there were certain things in work that I I was I am a creature of habit and I still sort of am a creature of habit I'd like to know what I'm getting into but if I was getting curveballs thrown at me in work or something new dropped on the desk that would have sent me off into a little bit of a frenzy there was a while when I was using where I was sort of moved about teams to help cover and now in hindsight looking back and even at the time I tried to tell myself that it's because I know the most, because it was one of the people that had been there the longest. So I was trying to see it as a good thing, but at the same time, I was like, I don't want this responsibility. We're now in sobriety when you flip that. I'm chasing that responsibility and I want more. I want more for myself. Um, And I think it's something that you mentioned there as well about confidence and self-esteem. I don't think I've mentioned this on a podcast yet, but this is something that the conversations I've been having with myself over the last couple of weeks. I used to do drag um, and yeah. I might not have performed very well, but I did. I looked the part and I feel as if I'd done that because I had low self-esteem. I didn't love myself. 
Um, I wanted that connection, although it was a time in my life that was always filled with booze and drugs. I wanted that external validation from somebody else to be like, you're doing something good or you're doing something amazing. And I feel in sobriety that I've fallen away from that because I don't need that external validation anymore. It's something that I'm able to get for myself through, if it is, as we mentioned earlier, if I go out a run and getting that sort of endorphin hit and the serotonin and I'm believing in myself. Um, I've t- said at the start of the podcast that um, I'm moving into a new job and that's something that I probably would never have put myself out for if I was still in the depths of addiction. Um, so it's these little things that are creating the self-belief in myself where I no longer need that external validation from people. Yeah, that's really similar to my story as well. And part of the reason I ended up like doing my PhD and working in research and kind of just chasing those accomplishments was I think I was trying to convince other people to believe that I was successful and professional. I needed the validation. I needed somebody to be telling me, you're doing a good job. Look at all this stuff you're doing. You're traveling. You have an expense account. You're doing your PhD, blah, blah, blah. But looking back at that retrospectively now i can i just know that the self-confidence wasn't there and you know seeking that external validation didn't work anyway and the thing that getting sober brought me was you know following through on that promise that i had made for myself and kind of winning and earning my self-trust back and knowing that i can make it through even the most difficult thing because i i quit drinking while i was doing my phd at queens and I would say that uh, sobriety was a lot more difficult than a PhD, if I'm being completely honest. But as you said, yeah, like just learning the learning how to reassure yourself and not try to fix or change something outside of ourselves to make ourselves feel okay on the inside and just trusting that we can make it through is just such an amazing fringe benefit of of a sober life. So you stopped drinking New Year's Eve. 2021 yeah and you that wasn't the first time that you had quit drinking you said you were you'd stopped before so how how was it different this time um i i think like many people that try to get sober it wasn't um a one and done scenario um i was (laughs) dipping my toe into sobriety and i think it first started when maybe i was about 27 um i think i heard recently about this little voice in the back of your head but you just either drown it and drink or numb it with drugs and don't listen to it. But something was nagging there for a while. And eventually, I think it was about 29 when I first started dipping the toe in properly and wanting to give it a proper go. And the reason being is I didn't want to spend my 30s like I spent my 20s. And that meant I wanted to remember my 30s because a lot of my 20s were spent in a blackout. Yeah. Um, so I might have even been 28 when I first started. I think I was doing maybe a stint. I was a grey area drinker, as I've mentioned. So I don't know if it was a stint or not, but maybe I went like a few months mm-hmm. and it didn't bother me, but I was still using cannabis every day. Yeah. So whether or not that was sobriety or not, people would argue that, yes, that's Cali sober. Cali sober, and, I was going to say that. And there's other people that would argue, no, you're still using a substance that yeah. not even in moderation. You're using a sub. I was using it to like completely wipe myself out. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of drinking, yeah, there were stints where I was doing maybe a couple of months and then come back to it. And 
it's not something that they endorse or they encourage but i think these lapses are relapses and um, there's something to learn from each of them and every time then that you go back to dip your toe into sobriety you get that little bit stronger and you have that little bit more confidence the longest i went was about six months without a drink and then it was like right okay you know i always knew that alcohol wasn't my problem but that now in hindsight it was alcohol was the gateway drug that introduced me to cannabis alcohol is what made me crave other party drugs once it was in the sips and in, in the system um so i feel like although alcohol wasn't a priority for me most of the time it was a contributing factor to everything else that i dabbled in yeah um and i don't know i think i woke up the on the 31st new year's eve 2021 and was just i can't do this anymore something had just clicked and it was like this isn't for me and that was it like there was something in me that knew then and i know it's sort of taboo to say in sober circles where never say never because you don't know what could happen but something in me then was like you're not doing this anymore like this is it you've had your fun and that's if you could even categorize it categorize it as fun because it's not even fun towards the end and we just keep fighting for this thing that's not even enjoyable anymore and it takes more than it gives it's crazy it's something that again i've heard recently is it's 20 minutes there's 20 minutes maybe halfway down your first drink where you feel that buzz and everything's great and then it's terrible Mm -hmm. um i should note there as well that me and my dad's relationship wasn't always great most of my adult life it was normally spent in bars over pints and because our relationship wasn't great at the best of times it normally then resulted in us arguing mm-hmm. um the night before i stopped drinking again it resulted in another argument and since then obviously i've got sober and i stand by the argument and what was said that night i've apologized for it because it shouldn't have escalated but i stand by what i had said and i think being sober has given me that confidence to be like no, like I know I was right. Fair enough, it was blown out of proportion, but I, I, I was right and what yeah. I was saying. And normally my dad would always try to get me back with either like buying me with money, be like, do you need an end of a couple of quid or do you want to meet me for a pint? We're now in my sobriety that I'm sort of finan- a lot more financially stable than what it was. I'm not going to say I'm financially stable, but a lot more financially <laughs> stable than what it was. Yeah, it's just felt, I feel like I'm not going to give any more energy to this relationship. And it's di- different now where I spoke about validation a lot and I feel as if I chased my dad for that a lot throughout my youth, throughout my teenage years, even throughout my adult life. And now I don't want it. And there's times now where I feel as if now my dad's chasing me for validation, which is a weird role reversal. But it was just like, I fought for this for too long. Mm. And now I can't give any more. And now that I can't give any more, you want more. Yeah. It's weird. I know what you mean. Like whenever I was quitting drinking, like the most random people would pop into your head like but what am i gonna say to my boyfriend's sister when she asks if i'm having a drink or just like random people because you're just so used to people pleasing and you're so worried about what other people are gonna think of you because you need the external validation right you need other people to be telling you oh you're fine you're doing a good job or we're connect you know look at your life it's fine but ultimately you need to just sink into what feels right for you and it feels like you did that. And that's amazing to see. You have a partner. Did, did you say that they recently stopped drinking as well? Or was there anyone else in your life who was sober at the time that you could lean on? Um, yes. Um, funnily enough, my mum got sober 13 years ago. Oh, fantastic. Um, so 
I, again, you've got those talks about uh, being raised by an alcoholic parent and things like that. And I know people that have developed alcohol dependencies who whose parents didn't drink. Mm-hmm. And I know whose parents did drink. So you've got an argument sort of on both sides of the fence there. But I don't know if that became a coping strategy for me because it's something that I seen growing up. I was like, okay, well, this is how mummy deals with this. So maybe that's how I'll deal with it. And maybe it's not something that even sub- you didn't register, but it did subconsciously. Mm-hmm. And even when my mum got sober, me and my sister wanted my mum to get sober for years. And when she did, um, there was no real recognition for it, which hurts me now in hindsight looking back. But that's because I was in the depths of my own ad- addiction at the time. My sister's one of those weird people that can open a bottle of wine, have a glass, put it in the fridge and forget about it and I'm like (laughs) but I I think now in my sobriety I realize how much celebration I've missed out on with Mm -hmm. my mum and now it's her sober date is something that I remember because she's genuine she's January so she's not long after me yeah in date terms but obviously many many years ahead of me and I think in the whole 13 years once she's had a glass of Bailey's at Mm -hmm. Christmas because she want not for the Baileys or the alcohol, but for the taste of it. Yeah. And she literally bought a bottle of Baileys, had one glass, and then the Baileys curdled in the cupboard. So like, yeah. I, it's funny you say that because I, I had one of our virtual coffee chats for Sober Girls Ireland yesterday, and we were talking about alcohol-free drinks. And I was saying how I want an alcohol-free Baileys. They're so good. And I'm manifesting that for this year, this Christmas. Baileys are going to put out an alcohol-free version of their drinks. But I, I can actually relate to what you're talking about there because I had a parent as well who was, um, you know, struggled with alcohol. And there's definitely, I mean, if you're living in Ireland, it doesn't take much to find somebody who has an issue with drinking. I mean, that's pretty much the norm. And it's actually weird if you don't have an issue with drinking, I'd say, over here. But um, one of my parents was sober for 10 years as well and then went back to drinking for a while. And then now they're off. They go on and off of it now. And it's just interesting to like my parent who quit whenever they were sober. That's when they built their business. That's when they were the most successful, made the most money that they've ever made. And they were so motivated to do so. And it's crazy to be that age now and be not drinking. Like, cause obviously when I was a kid, I didn't really care. It wasn't, they weren't drinking to the point where I would have really noticed it that much. You know, I was young, but you just have so much respect <laughs> for them for being able to do that. Cause it's so difficult. And it was probably even more difficult 10, 15, 20 years ago because there no there was no online there was no groups online to be having that um, anonymity and be able to join these groups listen to these podcasts watch these videos more and more people are coming out talking about their sobriety even just yesterday there was a video of Tom Holland the actor from Spider-Man and um all those Marvel what what else is he in he's Billy he was Billy Elliot in the West End and everyone knows him but he recently spoke about how he is sober now too and I feel like there's so many more people sharing their stories that it's not quote-unquote easier to quit drinking now by any means it's still a difficult journey but at least you have safe spaces and support that you can seek out so yeah that's what I was just about to say like now there's definitely a lot more resources and support around um, even with the likes of the alcohol-free drinks, which I wouldn't have even been heard of maybe three years ago, let alone 10, 15 years yeah. ago. Um, Heineken Zero came out whenever I quit 
three years ago. That was it. It was that or Bex. <laughs> now there's Bex Blue, it's called. And that was it, basically. Or you could have a Coke or Coke Zero. <laughs> right? Because you don't want the caffeine. It's about soda water lime. Yeah. And you're a very popular alcohol-free drink. Yeah, um, it's good as well. The alcohol-free market is something that's some that's really bursting at the minute. So you never know. By Christmas, we might actually have alcohol-free Baileys. It would be a nice little twist. I would love that. Honestly, that would make my year because it's so good. I've had like a Baileys cheesecake. I'm not averse to like eating food with you know cooked with alcohol or whatever because that was not my issue. I wasn't like getting drunk off of champagne sorbets or anything like that. But so you quit drinking. And then how soon after that did you decide to start QRS? So tell us a little bit about that journey of how you built this support group that you have now. Well, I mentioned earlier in the podcast about um, when I first started dipping my toe into sobriety during lockdown, looking around for other support groups within the LGBTQIA plus community. And there wasn't um, a lot out there. And um, so that first planted the seed for QRS. Um, it wasn't something that, it, that I even initially thought that I was going to start. But again, it was around that seven month mark of sobriety where I was like, there's something missing in my puzzle piece. Like I'm sober, I don't think I'm gonna go back, but I feel like I can't go and sit in bars. Or, no, I feel I can go and sit in bars. It's just uncomfortable. It's not who I am anymore, and it's not where I want to spend majority of my that's free time. To do, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's when I started sort of asking around again about what there was, what was available, and selfishly i think that's why i started going to the likes of aa because i'd never been in group before only had my own experience um and i really did try to stick aa out it obviously works for people and i don't want to disrespect it in any way but it just it wasn't for me and mm. um, it didn't for me i didn't like the aspect of a 12-step program or something to work towards i feel as if you hold yourself accountable and reward yourself um and then I found Inspire and spoke with a head of addiction there and spoke to them about what I wanted to do and sort of where my ideas were going with QRS. And they actually referred me to their, and um, they do like a group session. They do one on a Monday in person and one on a Wednesday online. Um, the only problem with that, both sessions are two to four. So if you're in full-time employment, yeah. you're not going. Um, luckily, I did have the option of working from home at the time, so there was the odd Wednesday where I was able to go, and it was a, I found it a much more laid-back format, where you were in, you were checking in about how your week was going, where you were at the present. If you had a slip-up, you had a slip-up. You were here to celebrate the wins. You were here to get advice and peer support um, from people in similar circumstances. And again, unlike AA, this group was centered around drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. whereas i feel like the likes of aa was targeted specifically for alcohol and once you start to mention other substances that's when it can start to feel a bit taboo or out of their realm of knowledge yeah and um, so it was a lot about how i about how i wanted to go with qrs and um, so that essentially set the foundation for me and um, qrs itself didn't begin until i had a year sobriety under my belt so I set the Instagram profile up, I think, the November of 2022. 
but didn't actually start my first group until the 1st of January, which was New Year's Day um, yeah. of this year, 2023. Yeah. Um, so it's only really been officially running for just over six months. Mm-hmm. And like most new organizations, it's had its peaks and it's had its troughs. Um, I have people that come every week. I have people that dip in and out. And I also try to organize sober socials because as I mentioned, I was fed up with spending times in bars. That's not what I want to do with my free time anymore now that I'm sober. I don't want to watch people get drunk. And I don't know if this is sort of across the board for sober people, but I like to go to bed early. So I would like to do something during the day, preferably. (laughs) (laughs) Even these sober raves, I'm like, it's done at eight. Perfect. The sober rave and stuff in the likes of Dublin. I think there's one that runs from eight till 11. Now 11's borderline late, but you know what? On a Saturday night, I could push myself till 11 o'clock as long as I'm in bed as well. Yeah, we can rest up, take a Red Bull, something like that. It's mental when you think about it, how like, because for me, I would I would usually do most of my drinking on like a Friday night after work, whether that was going out. Um, we'd always stop in Lavery's and then the odd time we'd end up at Limelight. Those are places in Belfast. But um, I would be up to like probably three or four in the morning, not doing drugs, just drinking, um, which is like, how do I do that? How do I not pass out? <laughs> but it's like crazy how much stamina you have when you're drinking. And then now whenever I'm that I'm sober, it's like, two hours hanging out with people it's like oh my god i need a nap after that it's insane okay without getting into the science of it i think there's something to do with alcohol and how it numbs your receptors and your tolerance mm-hmm. for people and that means you can withstand situations that would normally tire you or bore you after a certain length of time so when you're drinking you're actually numbing yourself not only the, the bad that's happening around but also the good and mm-hmm. um, so you're not really experiencing it properly you're experiencing a version of it that you're creating in your brain yeah. by numbing your sensation to what's going on around you and um, i read far too much quickly in my first year and um, it fascinates me and sometimes little bits of information still flicker to the forefront of my mind and be like i know but it is so true like it's you know your social battery just wears out because you're actually in tune with your body and you're not just you know, shutting down parts of your brain that can foresee consequences and, you know, think about the future. Because whenever you're drinking, it's like you're just operating on your primal, like lower part of your brain. That's like pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Seek the pleasure more, more, more. Don't feel any pain. So it's um, it's amazing to see now how faster my how much quicker my social battery drains after just hanging out with people. But gatherings whenever you're sober are so much more meaningful and you're exhausted in a way that it's like satisfying you're like oh my god that was such a nice time like after we walked up cave hill um which is i don't know if I'm, we mentioned what a cave hill is in the podcast because a lot of my listeners are from the u.s but it's just a mountain in belfast but we hiked up there and we got a coffee and we were chatting and the rain held out for the most part which was nice um and afterwards my heart was just so full it was it just you just feel so wholesome and satisfied after hanging out with like-minded people so it's a good kind of tired not a hungover kind of tired where you feel like death basically and just to draw comparisons there it's like there was times when i was um drinking and on cocaine and i was talking surface level maybe deep and trauma dumping but mostly surface level and a smoking area 
to some stranger. In that conversation, I probably would have remembered fragments of it the next morning. Yeah. Um, whereas in comparison to this, you're actually meeting people where you know you've already got at least something in common mm -hmm. because they're sober curious or they're sober. And as you said, it's a more meaningful, fulfilled, deep connection. And um, you're speaking about things with these people that they probably haven't told maybe some of their closest friends. Yeah. And it's, you've already got that level of sort of trust with people. And as you say, you might walk away from it exhausted, but it's a sense of fulfillment as well. It's I was overjoyed. I was almost like on a high after yeah. it because it, it went so well and you got to connect with, I tried to make it around everybody and at least have a conversation with everyone. Um, yeah. But yeah, it just fills you with so much joy. And as if the work that we're doing is paying off, whether as as I mentioned earlier, with peaks and troughs, and mm -hmm. then you get a day like that, and you're like, I know, yeah, like we're doing the right thing. Yeah, because we're very similar, right? Like I, I, I think I set up the Instagram for Sober Girls Ireland in November as well of 2022, and I kind of started teasing it out a little bit, and then we, I started posting regularly in January, and we had our first few virtual coffee chats in February. So around the same time and similar thing, sometimes people drop in a few times. It was just me there for the hour alone with my thoughts waiting, but it's just so nice to kind of see the fruit of your labor. Not that we need the external validation or anything, but like, for example, I have set up group chats now all around Ireland. So Dublin, Belfast and Cork and I obviously can't go to all of the meetups and it was so nice to see our Dublin WhatsApp group chat just popping off and they arranged a sunrise swim and they all went and it's like they wouldn't have been there had I not created this little page on the internet, you know, and it's amazing to see like now six, seven months later, it's kind of all coming together and it's I know you have all of your sober socials planned out for the summer, which you're way ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I only mean, have up until I think it's only up until the end of the year but it's only one a month so realistically that's yeah. only about five more yeah way more organized than me I have to say that so where do you see the future of QRS what are your some of your big goals for QRS that's what I, I don't really know um, and it's probably a bad time to have this question asked and the reason being is I think like most sober people um when you first get sober, especially in the first few months, even the first year, you absorb all this like quitlet and all the alcohol free stuff around you. Where now I'm like, I'm not my fill with it. And I'm like, yeah. I need other things other than alcohol free. But then mm -hmm. I'm also solely responsible for this group that I organize and run. Um, some good things of had a meeting with a cert and I who has said about funding and maybe going under like an umbrella rather than going out on my own as a charity mm -hmm. um, and speaking to them and they would help coach me through that. Um, I've a meeting with the likes of Belfast Pride, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday, maybe for something in the pipeline for next year. Mm -hmm. um, what I didn't realise, and this is just a wee side note, Belfast Pride is the 30th, the last Saturday in July anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot more sober events in the Pride Guide than what I expected. Right. And this is something that I probably would have taken no notice of because I was just like, Pride Day, I get to drink a 10 glass of vodka and then I get to go and party. 
Um, I went to one Pride in Belfast, and I don't remember. I got back from a holiday in Croatia with my one cousin. She lives over in England, but she's from Derry. Um, and then I went out with her sister, who's my other cousin who lives in Belfast. And um, yeah, couldn't tell you, but I think I had a good time. <laughs> I think it was good. That sounds like Pride for the last 10 plus years for me. Yep. Um, well, well, not last year, because it was sober last year. Yeah. <laughs> But um, there, there's surprisingly, throughout Pride Week, there's mm-hmm. quite a lot of sober events, which was, pun intended, sobering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we were talking um, about that at, K- at our event last month. It yeah. was Claire that actually put me on to Assert NI and mm-hmm. Belfast Pride and then Amnesty NI. Mm-hmm. I think that they are a, why can I not think of a name? Nonprofit? They are a nonprofit organization, but what they, human human rights activists right yeah okay mm-hmm. um they have also reached out to me and i'm meeting them for coffee on saturday so yeah. it's like all these things all of a sudden all these overwhelming things are falling into place yeah um for me at the minute it's get through the year and see how the year goes trs for me i feel like when i first stopped drinking i couldn't think too far ahead with it because then that's when you start to get scared and run away where it's not make it through your first year see where you're at at the end of your first year and that's when i can sort of think about maybe starting to expand um and by expand i mean if there's somebody else that can come in and chair a meeting mm-hmm. when i'm not available so if i'm sick or if i'm away on holiday is there somebody that i can trust enough to come in and run the format of the group the way that i run it events um for the most part i've tried to keep them free but there is a few pet events coming up and whether or not people decide they want to go to them or not, it's completely up to them. I hate the idea of people not being able to afford something, but really wanting to go. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I'm not funded. I do this all off my own back because I, selfishly, it's what I wish I had when I was getting sober. I don't want to put people in a position where they're like, I can't do that because, and then almost something's changing in their head. They'd be like, well, I can't associate with that group because they're going to ask me for money. And that's what yeah. I don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think most of my sober socials are going to be paid ones for the rest of the year. So fingers crossed it doesn't put people off. But next year, if that was something that I wanted to sort of feed into, if there was an element of funding that I could get. Um, I've also spoke with Alcohol Change UK, who give me some prospective funders, but I don't know if they're mainly UK based and might not cover us. Mm-hmm. But again i'm opening up conversations there to be like right at least the conversations are in place for year two yeah and hopefully then if i'm still as passionate about it as what i am now then it can only get bigger and i can maybe offer more i think that's amazing first and foremost that you're meeting with those people to have those conversations and i'm sure everything's going to fall into place exactly as it should and it's the those connections are just going to be so important regardless of the outcome because the next time that they do have something, they'll think of you the next time they have a grant up or whatever. Um, but I really relate to what you were saying there about the first year of sobriety being like, okay, research everything, absorb all this information, listen to all, like, I was listening to probably like 40 hours of podcasts and books a week, whenever I first quit drinking. And I really like going into my second year, that's when I was finishing like writing my thesis and everything for my PhD. 
And I really just need to take a step back and be like, hold on a second, who am I, right? I just went through this metamorphosis. Who am I? What do I want out of my life? And that's where my big career change came from, you know, just having that introspection and taking stock of where I was. Um, and I'm wondering, is this kind of where your career change has kind of came from? Well, I feel like um, your first year for me and... Uh, I guess for a lot of people that I've spoke to is stay sober. Um, I've, and it's something I've done a big one-year post. And what I had said in that was you might get those people that go out and run a marathon three months into their sobriety, might go out and get a world record in their first year. But if all you've done in your first year of sobriety is not pick up and not use, mm -hmm. then you've smashed it. You've set out what you've achieved to do. Um, I think the second year then is about self-discovery and it's about throwing yourself into things that make you uncomfortable and try and discover this new version of yourself that you've probably neglected for years. Yeah. Um, I think I read something once where you sort of go back to the age that you were when you started drinking. And for most of us, that's going to be a teenager. So it's going back and rediscovering those hobbies and maybe new things that you probably wouldn't even wouldn't have even have dreamt of and just throwing yourself into it and making the most of it worst case scenario you don't like it and that plays across the field into your career as well um as i've mentioned on the podcast i've said that i actually really enjoyed the job that i was in the problem with my job is i was temporary and even though that i knew that i probably would have been temporary to the end of the days there um there was no sick pay and there was no pension and um, there's all these sort of little things that the older you get, you have to start thinking about. Although it's a pay cut to jump to this, it's stability. It's a career change, which means there's room for progression. So I'm trying to think long game. Um, where if I go in here, right, I'm taking a pay cut because I'm going in at the bottom of the borough. Whereas in my old job, I was there three and a half years. So I was at the top of sort of my pay increment. So I will get back to there and probably further and progress into that career. So I'm hoping by the end of year three, that's a year and a half away mm -hmm. now, that again, I've taken another step forward in my career because that's I'm very career focused now and being yeah. like, how do I make more money? And I've always wanted to be in management, but I never really had the self-esteem or ability for myself. And I think that translated to people when I was like, I want to be in management. And they were like, maybe you're not a right fit. Whereas people are saying now, I actually know, I think you would be quite good at this. So yeah, again, it's not searching for that external validation, but it's believing what was always inside me and actually going out and chasing it now and actually giving myself the chance to do it. Yeah. And it's so true, right? Because whenever you quit drinking, you can actually play the long game. And it's not just like, get make it through this day, make it through this weekend, make it through this party whatever it is um and just forcing yourself through and instead of that being able to zoom out see the big picture and now you have the trust in yourself and the confidence in yourself to back yourself up as you go after these goals instead of that rocky relationship you have with yourself whenever you're using or whenever you're drinking because for me at least you know if i made a plan for a monday morning if i wanted to get something done for work i mean it was a a flip of the coin whether or not I actually had the energy to be able to do it um, and I would usually just push it off because I was feeling too you know I needed to recover from the weekend or 
or what have you. So it's amazing to see that the confidence can come back and everything that you have in the pipeline sounds so exciting. Anything else coming up? That's it. Well, I know your birthday. Um, I don't know if I've said too much. Of, no, I've got conversations in the pipeline, but I don't know if anything's going to come of them. Yeah. But I suppose, as you have said, at least I've had those conversations with people right. and people now know that I actually exist, mm -hmm. which is great. I have um, Sober Social at the end of this month. Then I have, I'm a member of Over the Influence. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a community member. Um, I also now cover Zooms for people. I'm not a Zoom host because I don't have the availability to do it at a fixed time every week. Right. But I can jump in and I can cover for people. Um, but through that community, um, we're actually organising a walk up Sleeve Donard on the 12th of August. So I'm posting about that next Sunday. Not this Sunday, next Sunday. Yes, the 20-something. Um, just to get people notice if they want to come along. Um, my birthday, of course, is at the start of August. And I'm not telling anybody the date, but this is something that I would never have done while I was drinking and using because I didn't have the self-belief. But my driving test is coming up. Mm -hmm. um, I can't tell you it's before my birthday. Okay. Um, that's all I'm giving away. And I actually had a really positive lesson this week where we've done all our manoeuvres and worked through everything and I got everything in one. Mm -hmm. So I'm a lot more confidence and self-belief in myself now that I was like, right, I'm going to give myself three chances with this. But my instructor is under the impression that I'm getting it in one. So that's also boosting my confidence. I know it's a little bit of external validation, but I'll, I'll take it in this instance. We need to take what we can get, right? That's a good form of external validation. Um, but that's amazing. Well, best of luck. Break a leg. I don't know if you're meant to say something different when someone's getting their test. But um, <laughs> I know how difficult it is because I have to take my test here in Ireland as well because they're not going to exchange my US license. And so I'm learning manual after driving for 12 years, <laughs> automatic. It's definitely way more difficult, but I'm sure you'll be able to do it. So thank you so much, Paul, for coming on the podcast. I'll link QRS in the show notes of this podcast, as well as the Over the Influence podcast down below. You just recently were a guest on there, so I'll put that. Isn't that the podcast that you were on? Yeah, that yeah. was. So I'll put that one in the show notes as well. And just thank you again for being such an amazing guest. It was great to have a chat with you as well and look forward to many more in the future. No worries. Well, thank you very much for having me and hopefully we'll get a few more sober socials in the pipeline together. Yes. If anyone is in Belfast, in around Belfast and wants to check out Queer Recovery Support, you know where to find it. It'll be linked in the show notes. Thanks so much, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Working Sober. I hope that you found it informative and inspiring. Make sure you join our community over on Substack where we share resources, stories, and support for those navigating this transformational journey. To subscribe, simply visit workingsober.substack.com or head to the link in the show notes and enter your email address. It's completely free and you'll receive our latest newsletter directly in your inbox. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. It helps us reach more people who can benefit from our message. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, keep working sober and pursuing your dreams.